Well, this morning we're beginning a brand new series that we believe is going to prepare you for the Christmas season. And we hope it puts you in the mood for the real meaning of Christmas. We're going to be looking at some of our favorite Christmas songs, some of our favorite Christmas hymns. And then we're going to be looking at the scripture that really inspired those songs. And as you can tell already, we're beginning our series with that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Now we have no idea who wrote that song. But it was most likely written by a monk around the 8th or the 9th century. It was part of a group of songs that was written to help bring in the Christmas season. There were seven of them that were written. Each of them began with that word O and then it gave us a name of Jesus or a characteristic of Jesus. It ended on Christmas Eve with that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And here's what's interesting. If you take the first letter of the second word of each of those songs, in Latin it spells sarcor. And you don't know what that means. It means absolutely nothing. But if you spell it backwards, it's a two-word acrostic, which is spelled eros cross, which means I will be present tomorrow. And so as they sang up to Christmas Day, this very last song they sang helped spell out the message, I will be present tomorrow. But the truth is, the origin of this song wasn't in the 8th century or the 9th century. The origin of this song was from the 7th century B.C. The prophet Isaiah was, was called by God to give a message to Ahaz, who was the king of Judah. Ahaz was, was scared because Syria and Israel had formed an alliance and they were going to invade Judah. But Ahaz had formed an alliance with Assyria. And the king of Assyria, who was a wicked, evil man, was going to protect Judah from this impending attack. And so God sends Isaiah with a message from him to Ahaz. He tells Ahaz, you ask for any sign you want, and I will give you that sign to show you that I will protect you, that I will be with you. And Ahaz, kind of in a self-righteous manner, said, I'm not going to ask God for a sign. But the truth of the matter is, the reason he didn't want to ask God for a sign is because he had already formed an alliance with Assyria. And so God says, I'm going to give you a sign then. And as God gives Ahaz a sign, that sign reveals two things. First of all, it reveals that God is going to protect Judah and that Syria and Israel will both come to ruin before Judah does. But then in that sign, God also reveals that one day he is ultimately going to save Judah and his people. And we see this in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Listen to what God says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. 
Now Matthew quotes that as, as he shares with us the Christmas story, the story of Jesus' birth. And let me read to you what it says in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and, and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph awoke, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Now, as we take a few moments this morning to, to look at this first Christmas song and the scriptures behind them in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, I want to share with you four truths that we learn from this passage. Here's truth number one. God's word can be trusted. You can count on God's word. You can depend on God's word. Now, if your Bible is open, look at verse 22 in Matthew chapter 1. It says this, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. All this took place to fulfill. You see, God in his sovereign knowledge revealed to us his plan 700 years before they ever happened. And then God in his sovereign power orchestrated the events of history so that they occurred just as he said. Now this passage in Isaiah chapter 7 is, is just one of many passages in the Old Testament that is fulfilled in the New Testament. The Old Testament tells us various things about Jesus' birth. We're told in the very first book of the Bible that, that the seed of woman would give birth to the one who would crush the head of the serpent. We are told in the Old Testament what city Jesus would be born into. We are told the family line that he would be born into. We are told in the Old Testament that the king of the day would try to kill Jesus. We are told that with his family, he fled to Egypt. All of these things were foretold hundreds upon hundreds of years before they ever even occurred. And the Old Testament also prophesies the death of Jesus. We are told how he would die. He would be crucified. We are told that they would cast lots. For his clothes, we are told that he would be portrayed for 30 pieces of silver. We are told that he would be crucified between criminals and yet he would be buried among the wealthy. And all of these are just a few of the prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New Testament. Listen very carefully. 
If I didn't believe the Bible for any other reason, the fulfilled prophecies of the Old Testament and the New Testament would cause me to believe. Now the truth of the matter is, a skeptic can read these passages and and a skeptic can say that the New Testament writers simply use the Old Testament passage to try to, to get us to believe what they were saying. That they fabricated what happened to, to write their own storyline. But the problem with that is history verifies much of what the prophets foretold. You see, those who were looking for reasons not to believe, the skeptics, I've discovered that they will always find reasons not to believe. The Bible says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Over and over again in God's Word, we are told that those who do not want to believe will discover reasons for not believing. But the good news is, for those who are seekers, those who are looking for answers, those who are looking for truth, when we open up the Word of God and we give it a truthful reading, Jesus will be revealed. Here's what I know. 700 years before it ever happened, God's Word revealed the event that would split history in two, B.C. and A.D. You see, we see what we want to see. And so if you're here this morning and you're searching for truth, I want you to know that you can trust the Bible. And if you begin to read it with an open mind and an open heart, God will speak to you. So God's Word can be trusted. But there's a second truth we see in this story, in this song, and that is this. Jesus' birth was unique. Look at verse 23 again. It says, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. Years ago, Larry King, who at that time was hosting a, a television show on CNN, was asked, if you could interview anyone throughout human history, who would you interview? And Larry King said, without hesitation, I would interview Jesus. And then Larry King was asked, what question would you ask him? And Larry King said, I would ask him if he was indeed born of a virgin because the answer to that question would define history. And I want you to know that that answer to that question does define history. Because Jesus was born of a virgin, everything in history changes. I want you to understand, there has only been one virgin birth. And there will only be one virgin birth. Jesus was like every other Jewish boy who was ever born, and yet he was completely different from every other Jewish boy who was ever born. The Bible tells us that Mary was was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, that's more than a simple engagement to the Jewish people. Marriage involved two stages. It involved the betrothal and the marriage ceremony. And, and in the betrothal period, you were legally married. The only thing was you did not live together. You did not consummate your marriage until the marriage ceremony. And so during this time of betrothal, when Joseph and Mary were legally married, Joseph discovered that she was pregnant. Joseph had two options. 
He could divorce her quietly or he could divorce her publicly. If he divorced her publicly, then she would be open to public stoning because what she did was against God's law. But the Bible says because Joseph was a righteous man, he chose to do the former. That is, until God revealed what had happened. God spoke to Joseph and shared with him that Mary had not been unfaithful, that she was still a virgin, that the baby growing inside her womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And there are some that will tell us that that's a fable, that that's just simply a fairy tale, that that it's not really important to the Christian faith. But I want you to understand this morning, listen carefully. The virgin birth is essential to our faith. It's what we call one of the fundamentals of the faith. Now you may ask, why? Why is the virgin birth so important? Well, two reasons. First of all, because the Bible teaches it as truth. There are some that that say that we can look at the Bible the way that we look at food in a cafeteria line. We pick and choose what we like. In other words, if we come to something and we like it, we put it on our plate. But if we come to something else and we don't like it, we can discard it. And that's what a lot of people do with the Bible. When it comes to the miracles of the Bible, they discard it because they don't have a taste for the miraculous. Some people, when it comes to the Bible, they, they say, I, I, I want to have a helping of forgiveness, but, but I don't want what you say about sex. People say, I want a helping of God's blessings, but I don't want a helping of how I'm to manage my money. I want a helping of how God so loved the world, but I don't want a helping of I am to love my enemies. You see, all too often we try to pick and choose what we believe, but we can't do that with the Bible. You see, either the Bible is true or the Bible is not true. We either accept it as God's Word or we simply assume that it is a well-written narrative about someone's view of God and his interaction with man. Now, I, for one... Do not believe that the Bible is simply a story of someone's view of God. I believe that the Bible is God's word to us. And from the very beginning to the very end, everything that it says can be trusted. And so if you want to believe what the Bible says about forgiveness, what the Bible says about salvation, you have to believe what the Bible says about the virgin birth. But the virgin birth is not only essential because the Bible teaches it. The virgin birth is essential because sin necessitates it. You see, the virgin birth and your belief in the virgin birth is the difference between heaven and hell. If Jesus had not been born of a virgin, if Jesus had a human father, then he would have inherited a sinful nature and he would not be the Savior that we desperately need. If he was not virgin born, he would not have been perfect. If he would not have been perfect, he could not have been the sacrifice for our sins. If he were not for the sacrifice, if he were not the sacrifice for our sins, then you and I are destined to spend eternity in hell. You see, our eternal destiny is dependent on Jesus' birth 
just as much as our eternal destiny is dependent upon Jesus' death and resurrection. A person can be saved without knowing about the virgin birth. A person can be saved without understanding the virgin birth. But I want you to hear me. It's impossible to be saved if you deny the virgin birth. There was a man who who was preaching on the virgin birth, and after the service, a skeptic came up to him and said, I don't believe that story you just told, and, and I don't really believe you believe it as well. Well, the pastor said, you're mistaken. I believe in the virgin birth. And the man said, well, suppose a, a young woman comes into your office and she's six months pregnant. And she says, this is my boyfriend with me. He's the only boy I've ever dated and we've never had sex. He's never laid a hand on me and yet I'm pregnant. And what was conceived inside of me is from the Holy Spirit. And then the man said, the skeptic said, would you believe her? And after a pause, the pastor said, yes, I would believe her. And then there was another pause and the pastor said, if, if the birth of her child was foretold by prophets thousands of years before that baby was ever conceived. If an angel appeared to your boyfriend and told him that what is conceived inside of you is from the Holy Spirit. If When your baby is born, wise men travel from all around the world to worship and honor your baby. If, when your baby grows up, he has power over wind and waves and death and disease. If, when your baby dies, he dies on a cross and three days later he is resurrected from the grave. If he does all that, I'll believe and you'll believe too. You see, the virgin birth is vital to our salvation. And so from this story, we see that the Bible can be trusted. The virgin birth is unique. But third, we see that Jesus is God in the flesh. Look at verse 23 again. It says, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's been said that the baby recorded in the first chapter of the New Testament is none other than the God recorded in the first chapter of the Old Testament. You see, Jesus didn't have his beginning in a stable 2,000 years ago. Jesus has always been and always will be the eternal God. When Jesus was born in that stable that first Christmas, it was God coming to live among man. At the moment of conception, God became a man. I love what Matthew or Max Lucado said, and I've shared this before, but it's worth sharing again. Max Lucado said, the omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo, and, and he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God is a fetus. Holiness, sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. 
He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, the eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that a baby and before that a fetus inside a woman's body. But why did God do that? Why did God become a man? Someone said God did it because he was spelling himself out in a language that we could understand. You see, when we look at Jesus, we see God revealing himself to us in a way that we can picture, in a way that we can understand. When we see Jesus, we see God with flesh and blood. When we see Jesus healing, we see God's compassion. When we see Jesus broken for for the sinners, we see God's mercy. When we see Jesus calming the storm, we see God's power. When we see Jesus teaching the multitude, we see God's wisdom. And we see when we see Jesus dying on a cross, we see God's justice. If you really want to know what Jesus is like, All you have to do is pick up this book and study the Gospels. Study them in detail. Find out everything you can about Jesus. And as you discover who Jesus is, you will discover who God is, his love, his mercy, his patience, his kindness, his forgiveness, his power, his judgment. It's all seen in Jesus. You see, Jesus is God with flesh and blood. Jesus is is God with us. And so in this this story, in this prophecy, we see that, that the Bible can be trusted. We see that the virgin birth is unique. It's like no other. We see that Jesus is God in the flesh. But there's a fourth thing we see. We see Jesus came to save us from our sins. Look at verse 21. It says, she was given birth to a son, or she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Have you, have you ever wondered why Jesus came to earth? Why he left the comforts of heaven to be born in a stable? Why he gave up a throne room to work in a carpenter's shop? Why he left the worship of the heavenly host to experience the ridicule of the religious? The answer is simple. He loves us. He wants to save us. Romans 5, 8 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. God created us so that we could have an intimate relationship with him. But our sin, our wrong choices, our proud hearts, our clear rebellion broke that intimacy. And sin has affected us to the point that our only hope is a Savior. Someone who who will redeem us. Someone who will pay the price for our sins. And that's why Jesus came. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He, Jesus, personally carried the load of our sins in his own body when he died on the cross so that we 
can be finished with sin and live the good life. Jesus loves us. Jesus chose to be our Savior. That's why the angel told the shepherds, and we're going to look at this later on in this series, but the angel told the shepherds, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. That's why the angel revealed to Joseph, you would call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus didn't come to this earth to show us how to live. Jesus came to this earth to die in our place. You see, if you and I needed financial help, Jesus would have sent an economist to us. If you and I needed education, Jesus would have sent an educator to us. But that's not our ultimate need. Our ultimate need is salvation, so Jesus was sent as a Savior for us. Jesus' mission from the moment he was born was to save us from our sins. I believe I've shared this story with you before, but, but I want to share it again as we wrap this up. Years ago, there was a man named Edwin Rushworth. Rushworth had been a skeptic all of his life. But he resolved that if he wasn't going to believe, he was going to at least study and know what he didn't believe. And so he determined that he was going to read the Bible every single day. And so he started. And every day he poured into the Word. And after reading for a week, he looked at his wife and he said, Wife, if this book is right, we're all wrong. Well, he kept on reading and after another week, he said, Wife, if this book is right, we're all lost. Well, he kept on reading. And after reading for a little bit longer, he turned to his wife and said, Wife, if this book is right, we can be saved. And he was. And his wife was. And you can. That's why Jesus came. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel. Israel was captive not to the Assyrians, not to the Babylonians, not to the Syrians, not to a host of other nations. Israel was captive to sin. Israel needed a Savior. And so do we. And that's why God took on flesh and came to earth to ransom us from our sins. Set the captives free so that intimacy could be restored. I want you to bow your head with me. And close your eyes. And with every head bowed and with every eye closed, I want to ask you a question. Is Jesus your Savior? Have you come to that point in your life where you've humbled yourself to the one who was born of a virgin? 
Have you realized that he came to this earth to pay for your sins and to set you free from sin and death? Have you humbled yourself to the point that you have turned from sin and asked Jesus to save you? Or if you're here and you haven't done that, then I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to pray this prayer right now. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me I am a sinner. I need a Savior. Please save me. I believe you were born of a virgin. I believe you lived a perfect life. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave defeating sin and death. Today... I'm giving my life to you as Lord. Save me. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. Amen.